Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Ali. In this episode, we're diving into a book called No Forks Given by Yana Gilbuena. recipes from her 50 U.S. state tour from 2014 to 2015. Every week, Yana's crew, which sometimes was just herself, would arrive in town to hold a pop-up dinner featuring a kamayan or hands-only feast of Filipino food. Yana would find some place to stay, some place to shop, some place to host her dinner and actually get people to attend. A massive undertaking often within one week with so much on the fly. So on the topic of fly pinais, here's a good-sized list of things I learned from the book. One, vulnerability. That's a big one. Curiosity. It matters to have it. Three would be conveying nuance in Filipino culture. Because that can be kind of tricky, but if you do it really well, it matters a lot. Drive. That's something else that matters. I can see how we all seek to understand our identity in many different ways. That you just gotta deal with what life throws your way. That risk is real and rewards can be invisible annoyingly. Sometimes you just gotta say, fuck it, (laughs) like put it on the line whatever it is for you. That determination pays off, and that really at the end of the day, this is about food, and I'm going to talk about how Filipino cuisine is so varied and has so many layers to telling the story. That recognizing what's special about our culture is key, so that you in turn can kind of share that pride with others coming from a real place. I've learned to not regret anything. That we're all human with complex emotions, and sometimes you just can't say everything conversation, and that even the headstrong can be fragile, that we all love to eat, although let's be honest, I've known that for quite a while now, the Filipino food and many beer styles and really other cuisines go very well together. 
that our adaptability to ingredients, seasons, and circumstances is a skill. That learning how the system works, that matters. That others are curious, and if they're curious, why not show them what you got? That the world is vast and lovely. That we all crave connection. And that doubt is a constant thing, and that's okay. That, yes, the universe will provide is something you can believe in, and something Yana believes in. That sharing your personal story is pretty powerful. That the truest lessons can transcend cultures and backgrounds and reveal our layers, the layers that make us human. Like a nice warm coconut pie. And that it's never too late to try. And so, seeing as I started this list with vulnerability, Here's my first form of it. Talking about the end of a relationship that really kind of gutted me and has made me rethink a lot of what's happening around me and about to happen in the course of my life. I'm sure that's something that other people have experienced as well. And I realized that I couldn't really keep it out of my creative work because staying honest and true to yourself, something that Yana does really well in this book, is just a part of your story. So needless to say, I'm pretty in awe of this girl, and can't even imagine what it's like to travel through all of the U.S.'s 50 states. Getting up, finding a place to stay, someplace to host the dinner, people to come to that dinner, then creating a menu around it, and actually shopping for ingredients and preparing things and cleaning up. That's so much work. All to share the wonder and joy of eating delicious Filipino food. I can't wait. Let's get to it. So I grew up in actually between two islands. Like my family originally is from Negros um, Occidental, which is an Ayas region. And then I also grew up in Iloilo because my grandfather's side is from that island. So I grew up between those too, mainly because during the summers, my grandma would like send me to um, to the provincia, <laughs> which is where we had at that time we had a hacienda, so we had like sugarcane and all of that stuff. And I hated going to the provincia when I was a kid, um, mainly because there was no like how do I even say this? Like there was no um, there was no electricity, so. I couldn't watch my favorite TV shows. You know, when you were a kid, you lived for cartoons, you know? So, yeah, that kind of bummed me out a lot. <laughs> In a sense, like, I I kind of hated being sent to the provincia. But otherwise, like, I was really, really happy in the island that, you know, I grew up in because it had everything that I wanted, like, if I wanted to go to the beach, the beach was there. If I wanted fresh seafood, everything was so accessible. I didn't really have to like look far. So I kind of had the comforts in life, but at the same time, like 
you know, it's still very sheltered. Like, it's not in the city city. It's not like Manila, for example. So, I still had, like, I would say I had a great childhood. <laughs> Um, uh, I think ever since I was a kid, I've always been sent to the kitchen because I'm an only child. So basically that meant the grandma raised me. So my mom, classic OFW story. My mom pretty much um, had to go overseas and work as a nurse. And I was left with my grandmother because she had to work. So my grandmother at the time, I think she was in her 50s maybe, I'm not sure, but like she, she was the one who raised me. So then I asked, did she learn how to cook from her Lola? Um, well, the thing is like my grandma was a Donia. Like she doesn't cook, my grandma doesn't cook. She was a proper Donia. Like she didn't, she didn't cook. She had people to cook for her. Um, so. It, it, it sounds so spoiled when, whenever I told people like, oh, I had a nanny or we had cooks, you know, but it wasn't like that. They were kind of like extended family. And I think I remember my grandma telling me before was like, they're working for us because they need to. They don't have any other option out there. Farming is not, even at that time, was not a viable occupation to have. And it kind of sucks. Um, um. In this sense, I totally stand behind the idea that, at its very core, this book is a book of our time, a book for people like me. And I don't just mean that because it's written by someone who miraculously managed to set up 50 pop-up on-the-fly dinners across the United States. Crazy feat in itself, but because the themes that Iana talks about in this book are things that people in the Filipino diaspora today tend to think about and talk about. Books, in essence, are a reflection of the society they're written in. And the reality is that the conversations I imagine Iana has with her diners, I remember this from her dinner here in Toronto, these are conversations that happen both online and offline, things that people actually want to talk about. Things like the topic of colonialism, breaking free of this colonial mentality in itself right now by educating yourself and learning as much as you can about the history of the country, it comes up in Yana's book and resonates with the kind of people who are likely to think that much more deeply about their culture, again, through food. I know I can't help but bring it to light because understanding this kind of history and how it affects our everyday lives including our interactions with food and the people who prepare them. That's such a strong part of the story of our food and where it's going. And with communities that are as complex as the Filipino diaspora, understanding that nuance is key. So then we ended up talking about this article that came out in The Atlantic a couple of years ago about this Filipino family who moved to the U.S. and brought their domestic helper along with them. Unfortunately, and this isn't too uncommon, they purposely withheld many of the rights that should have been given them. 
we talked about this for a while because it's an aspect of Filipino culture that both Yana and I, having lived half our lives in the Philippines and the other part in North America, it's something that we feel strongly about because it definitely still exists and it is something that our society in general is still coming to embrace the effects of. I could talk about this for ages. If this isn't the first episode you've listened to, you'll know that I often bring up this feeling of being stuck in between two worlds. And what Jan is talking about is a great example that I can relate to. Growing up in Manila, both my parents worked long hours, which left my sisters and I primarily in the care of our yaya. Our helper, who lived with us, was from the province of Pampanga. I can count on my hands the number of times I actually had to cook in the kitchen, because we didn't need to. And at the time, my primary responsibility was to study and to do well in school so that eventually, when we did move to Canada, I could be successful and make it on my own. Yaya Jenny was integral to our household, and she was extended family for sure. Her young child lived with us after some time, my sisters loved him, like, a lot of families have that relationship with the people who live with them. The funny thing is, circling back to food for now, that success and that making it on my own in Canada, to me that very definitely needs the cooking component. And I'd argue to say that even if you're not an intense foodie, it is necessary to learn how to cook one or two basic dishes. For me at least, to get past my own hang-ups on parts of Filipino culture that are less than ideal, that still carries some notion of shame and guilt by association. I guess learning how to cook and discover for myself why the breadth of Filipino cuisine is just astounding, that was really important. Because I hear people talk about healing these kinds of cultural wounds and reclaiming parts of that culture that have gotten away from them. And for myself, and I imagine Yana and others who feel a very strong connection to something you really believe in, for us it would be making food a part of your everyday life and just something that helps enrich what you do on a day-to-day basis. I imagine that this really isn't a solitary feeling. Now, I've mentioned a book called The Third Plate before by Dan Barber. So for those who've read that or have at least heard about either the book or his farm called Blue Hill in upstate New York, the Stone Barnes Fellowship is, uh, I believe now in its second year, just past its second year. It's a pretty big deal for people in the community who really want to get, obviously, a very hands-on experience working with people who, I guess, are considered visionaries in, in their own sense because they are able to recognize that there are much broader umbrellas that food touches than just the food that's served on our plate. And thinking about how we can approach some of the problems that we're facing in our day-to-day lives today. At the farm, it's like an environment where people who are curious, very passionate, and determined to make a change in food and agriculture systems 
It gives them a place to thrive, much like the crops that are nurtured on the farm. In 2017, the first group of Stone Barn Exchange Fellows gathered for a three-week residency at Blue Hill, getting on their hands and knees like digging in the fields, holding workshops, learning exchanges, and, I imagine, absorbing absolutely everything that each of the ten fellows brought to the table, from fields like journalism and law to being an entrepreneur, community organizer, and of course, farmers and producers involved in the whole food distribution system, to listen and act upon what it takes to grow and produce food that's resilient and regenerative, holistic and approachable. Yana was part of that first group of fellows, yet another feat achieved. So earlier, we were talking about this type of rice grown in the Philippines, in the northern Benguet province, um, this variety called pirorotong, which is technically a black rice. After you cook it though, it develops this like really beautiful purple color, like that lovely ube yu. Traditionally, it's what gives my favorite rice cake, the bamboo steamed putable bong, its intense color. I guess to bring it to a bit of a broader conversation about food in general, um, that touches on on farming and the importance of trying, <laughs> at the very least, to create an environment where you know you you ha you don't have like a vast majority of your population really just relying on this one thing, which you know for a lot of Filipinos today is very much still farming and. A very shitty system because it's obviously not uh you know gotten many people the prosperity that they wanted to over generations and i feel very optimistic as a young person in this day and age because i do hope that there's uh you know openness to a different kind of system that would allow that to happen in the philippines and in other places in the world where that's still happening mm -hmm. And it sucks because it is what we are made of, you know, like the thing is like we're an agricultural country that is the backbone of our country is like rice and crops and all of that stuff. Like, like food should be equal. I think we talked about food equality earlier and I hate the fact that organic is 10 times more, you know, um, expensive than non-organic one. And I think that's better for people who are actually trying to grow things and make a difference just because there's this invisible hand that kind of sways, you know, the trends or the kind of seeds that we're putting out there, the kind of crops that we're growing. Okay. And also side note, that's something that I learned while I was in stone barns there's a whole trend of monocultures versus like having the diversity that we once had, you know, in agriculture. So trying to go back to that and wanting to like touch on the fact that yes, Filipino food is not there yet in terms of like having to charge 
X amount of dollars for it. But I would like to justify that it should be, you know, because the kind of care and the amount of preparation that you do is is the same, if not more, than all the other Western um, cuisines out there. day for a second. Leafing through No Forks Given is really like being in the driver's seat of Yana's thoughts, or at least as far as she's letting us into that process. To shine a little light on why completing this 50-state tour meant a lot to her. For sharing a story like that, I'm grateful. It's reassuring to see that people can and will make it out of the muck that you sometimes just find yourself in. And yes, while I'm on the honest train, here's a particular passage that struck pretty close to home. It's on page 17, the intermission. The road ahead seemed more daunting, even though I was already halfway through. Half done or half not done, right? I had a mind to just crawl back to Brooklyn, call it a day, and never talk about it again. But I knew in my heart of hearts that I would regret it if I did that. I recognized that this project was bigger than me, bigger than my little life setbacks. I had to remind myself why I was doing this in the first place, and that gave me the jolt to get back on track. I told myself everything was going to be fine. I took a deep breath, a simple reminder of the life I was gifted. you want is a bowl of pancit, well, make it. Or go and find a restaurant that makes it if you can. 
living in some place like Toronto, this is sometimes what I struggle with because when I crave Filipino food, I want it really bad. But I'm not always up to cooking, and so my options then are to either go to a good Filipino restaurant and then travel back home, or actually spend the time to make it myself, even if all I want to do is bench out on the couch and watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I know, this doesn't really make much sense in the scheme of like how big my problems are, but sometimes when eating something that just gives you so much comfort is the thing that saves you from a very shitty day, you're gonna go the lengths to get that thing. <laughs> Now I know that by saying that, this puts me in this position of being like, how are you undervaluing like your cuisine? And I know that, that is something that I struggle with, but I'm saying this because I'm not the only person who has thought this. There is certainly still that hesitation to go out to eat at a Filipino restaurant because most Filipinos who regularly cook it think, well, I could just make that at home. The thing is, for me, I'm more than happy to pay for the service and the food and the experience of going out to eat. And I want to stress that that's important. It's a vital thing for the restaurant culture of Filipino establishments to really support each other and to show that this is a worthy investment to go and spend an evening out at an establishment that does what they do very well. These kinds of restaurants are the frontrunners to promoting our food culture. But given everything, though, there's, you know, this reality that we can't escape. To be fair, I'm like, if I was serving hand-pulled, you know, rice noodles, then I would definitely charge $25 for pancit. <laughs> you know, but it's like, again... Sometimes the craft is not there. Sometimes the craft is not there. Like, no one, I don't know anyone here in the United States who's making rice noodles from scratch. Let's put it that way. Um, although I know a lot of people who are making pasta from scratch. So there's that. So if the craft and technique of making rice noodles from scratch or even knowing how to cut up a chicken, for example, so like the bones are cracked into these tiny shards that float in your bowl of chicken tinala, stuff like that. If that isn't there, it eventually contributes to the acceptance that Filipino food is a little less than others. If we measured cuisines by like their perceived value for diners in the Western world, and I think there's another factor where culture and heritage is not actually transferred over just because of the immigration story. A lot of the immigrants who come here don't necessarily come from that industry. You know what I mean? Like, like for example, my mom. My mom's a nurse. She doesn't cook. She's one of those, like, Filipinos who actually don't cook. And it's sad because she never transferred any of those recipes to me. I think the only thing that she knows how to make from scratch is um, the Ilonga version of Bagong, the pink one. But it's like, where do you get the small, tiny shrimp 
here. Like you can't. So that's one of them. And no one in our family makes rice noodles. You know what I mean? No one makes egg noodles in our family. Like we just go straight to the market and then they pretty much just like get it from the guy who makes it from the suke. And like, we don't make Nokia wrappers from scratch. Like, and probably the people who do make Nokia wrappers from scratch are not the people who are going to be immigrating from the Philippines to the U S you know? So I think the point I was trying to make, so therefore there's a lot in our cuisine that is not being transferred over to the younger generation. It's because we don't have the tools to do so. And we were not prepped for them. So it's a sad reality, but that's kind of where we are right now in terms of getting in touch with our heritage and culture. Next, Yana and I chat about how we eat today, what our habits are like, how often we eat, and why Filipinos in general love to have people over for dinner. We are all now creatures of convenience. Like, why would I want to make my own wonton wrappers when it's already there in the market. That's also another way where we're losing a lot of the preservation of these ethnic food ways. Going off of what you're saying, you know, we, we are creatures of convenience, that's true. And for several generations, many people in the Philippines were also, and still are, creatures of convenience. Like, we got used to canned goods with the arrival of the Americans and the flood of canned and convenience foods that came into the country and became absorbed by the local people and then ended up coming back to like North America with those families that immigrated and still want to eat spam for breakfast. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's like, can we talk about really quickly, like how canned goods were suddenly considered kind of like an elitist thing. Like, if you're eating canned goods, oh my god, you're rich. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, and it's just like, it's so ridiculous. Like, how, again, we were kind of tricked into this, like, thinking, like, oh, if you're eating canned goods versus the fresh fish that you get from the sea, suddenly you're your social status goes up and just because you're eating spam or Vienna sausage, you know? And then when you come to America, you're just like, oh, shit. That's like, no one even eats this shit. <laughs> I find that totally fascinating. Like, I love reading about the history of food and stuff because it is, to me, it's, it's the kind of questions I ask myself, right? And I'm finding that I'm able to understand myself as a person more through food and that is one of the great characteristics of food as you say with the sala series if you think about it on a personal level you know all of those people go to go to those dinners and gather to build their communities around food because they themselves on a personal level kind of realize that you know what this stuff actually matters to me like, I, I, I want to know where my food comes from, and I want to support 
alternative methods of how my food is grown, um, support the fact that there's not enough research being done in certain you know, fields specifically relating to sustainability and um, food ways and that kind of thing. You know, with, with that said, how do you feel food and everything that you've learned about cooking having played a role in how you've developed as a person and how you kind of shape your identity? As a Filipino, food has always been part of our identity. I don't think you you can ever separate the two just because for me, like every single waking moment in in a Filipino household revolves around food. Like we eat six times a day. There's almusal, there's merienda, there's pananghalian, there's merienda, and there's hapunan. And then after that, you might even get another pulutan at the end of the night. So that's six times in a day. Like how many cultures out there can say that they eat six times a day? <laughs> Just saying. So, and on top of that, any any reason to like come together and eat, we're there. Like, oh, sinene, go graduate. Oh, tara, let's go. Let's go out and eat. Food trip you know, or like me and my barcada, every time I would come home, you know, either from university or come home from the States and we'd all meet. And then the first thing that they would ask me is like, what do you want to do? Either we go for chicken in a sal or we go for oysters. They know me so well. They, they just know that <laughs> they're just like, Yana only likes two things whenever she comes home. It's chicken in a sal or oysters. So it doesn't matter what order. I just have to get them. And I have to get them every day. And that's like the thing that we used to do. And even when we were in high school, we'd like after school, guess where we would go? We'd go to the talabahan, you know, and grab talaba. Like, come on. I'm like, now that I think about it, I was like, what did we used to do? Like, all we did was eat. Oh, my God. We were the worst. We were like, all we did in high school was eat. How are we not fat? <laughs> it's a very good question. And, but it's, it's interesting, though, because that, that kind of just boils it down again to, you know, Filipinos are, are crazy hospitable. And it's just, it's so integral. And I think that's one thing to gather around something to eat. Even if you're not hungry, you're going to be forced to eat or like take a little bite of something. Yeah, and it's like everyone takes pride in, like, entertaining. Like, my grandma would hate me before if I would just, like, bring friends and not tell her, like, to the house. She was like, how can you do this to me? You don't understand. You don't bring people unannounced into our house. Like, I have to prepare. Our house is not prepared to, to entertain guests. And I'm like... What do you need to prepare in our house? Like, I don't get it. Like, we are fine. And she was like, well, I didn't make merienda. And I'm like, it's okay. We've got tang. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. But, like, now that I'm older, I actually, like, 
I kind of inherited that from my grandma too. Now I'm just like, oh yeah, I kind of want to like, whenever I have people over, well, when I had a house, you know, like I kind of want to have everything set and prepared and not just have random people like just show up at my doorstep. Like now I, I hate that. <laughs> it's kind of funny how we become, how we become like our elders when we're older. Thanks to Yana Gilbuena for chatting with me quite a while ago for this interview. As soon as I put in my Kickstarter order for No Forks Given, I was like, hey, I'd really love to ask you about the book. We've talked about a lot of things this episode, so head over to the show notes to find links to things like the Stone Barnes Fellowship and some of Yana's media coverage from places like the New York Times. National Geographic, NBC, and the Philippine Daily Inquirer. Follow Yana and the Salo series on Instagram and Facebook at Salo Series. That's S A L O S E R I E S, and SaloSeries.com/slash/merch to order a copy of No Forks Given. Through ebooks at this time, but who knows? Maybe if you're listening to this in the future. If we all say we want it, I say never give up on another print run. Salamat, Yana, for sharing your story, and those of countless others who gave life to the Salo series. Head over to exploringfilipinokitchens.com for past episodes, to contact me, follow me on Instagram and Facebook as well, and to subscribe to the show. I'm on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download your podcasts from. Our theme music this episode is by David Seste, segment music is by Eric and McGill, Blue Dot Sessions, and Podington Bear. Visit fma.org for their music and more. As always, if you enjoyed this, I would really, really love if you told a friend or anyone who might enjoy it. Your good word really means the world to me, and if you have another minute to spare, I would really love a review on whatever service you're listening to this episode on. Maraming salamat, and until next time, thank you for listening.